and a very happy Sunday we had here on the Graham Norton Radio Show with the Waitrose. Here's what's coming up. Joseph Fiennes joins me to chat about starring as Gareth Southgate in Dear England, a Western player by the England football team. Joseph Martha has a right treat for us today in the form of a chocolate hazelnut layer cake. Mmm. And Maria McCurlin will be delivering me some of your letters so we can try and solve your dilemmas in Graham's Guide. Here she is now! Good morning to you, sir. Did you put yourself through 15 dances last night on Strictly Come Dancing? Do you know, I thought I had... I thought I'd watch it all. You fell asleep. No, well, you I thought, fell asleep. I, honestly, I thought I'd watch it all, and I'm thinking, well, I must keep watching because Angela Scanlon hasn't uh, danced yet. I want to see how she does. And then it was over. So was, was Angela Rippon not the first one on? No, you started halfway through. No, we have to say well done to our Angela and Carlos Goo, who did the <laughs> wonderful tango, and she looked amazing. 23 points. I mean, it's got to be disappointing. <laughs> they always start off, it's the first week. I mean, do you know what, Graham? It's difficult because some dancers want to kind of show off straight away and some of them were really very, very good. But then we, as the audience, are slightly denied their journey. I want you know a journey. I mean. You want a journey, exactly. I mean, you know, Leighton Williams, who was in Everyone's Talking About Jamie and lots of other rent and so on. I mean, he's a brilliant dancer, but it's like he came out of the traps, really, at number 10. Same time, um, as, same as Nigel Harmon. Too good. Too good, Nigel Harmon. Yeah, slightly too good. But, I mean, certainly if I was going to do my top six, which I have done for you, Graham, because I said I would, <laughs> and sorry for those people that hate Strictly Come Dancing, I'm going to put Leighton in, and Nikita in the top six. And Bobby Brazier, very sweet, Jade Goody's son. Very and good, Brazier's wasn't he? Son. Really very sweet and something very touching about him. There's a journey there. We're, we're happy. They did the foxtrot. Ellie Leach from Coronation Street and Vito. We liked her, yeah. Also good. Amanda Abington and Giovanni very did good. a Viennese waltz, which was very intense, very intense, but we thought they were good. Putting you know to bed all the rumours about them not getting on, etc. And right. Nigel Harmon. You've got to say, <laughs> he's 50 and he's super sexy. Dancing with Katia, a passe doble. Oh, that was very good. Got the middle-aged ladies going, I'm sure. But really, my award of the night goes to Dave Arch and his band for doing the cover of Nirvana Smells Like Teen Spirit. But also, <laughs> let's, let's have a round of applause for Angela Rippon's hip. I mean... Oh, yes, hip replacement soon if she keeps doing that. I mean, that was... It was kind of like, oh, is that leg going to come off in his hand? (laughs) (laughs) Stop it. It was incredible. Uh, That was what I tuned in. I thought, oh, here we go. Uh, So so, uh, Angela's tango was, was good but not stellar. Is that what you're saying? Well, I think nerves got to, to a lot of them and she was in the middle of the board. But, um, you know, there's a journey for Angela and that's what we like to see. We don't like seeing people who start well and then just stay quite good because that gets boring. We like to see the difficulty, the process, because it is difficult. Um, so, yes, that's my that's my roundup. And shall we never speak of it again? Well, we probably will speak of it again. I, we have to give uh, an, also another mention to uh, Les Dennis, who... Oh, <laughs> Bless him. You, you did feel like Les knows help is on the way. <laughs> <laughs> well, I felt a bit like that with Angela and her leg, frankly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but no, I'm sadly, uh, Les Dennis, I love Les Dennis. He's fabulous, but I don't think dancing is his, is going to be good for him. And I fear for Les because there's first elimination next week. No one wants to be the first one He out. won't know. People love Les Dennis. They'll vote for him. And also, they, yeah, they will definitely. It, it'll be someone we don't really know very well will go out first, I'm sure. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm going to put my money on Les Maria, Dennis going out. 
I've got, a, I've got a Sunday treat for you. What is my Sunday treat? Your Sunday treat is being prepared by Anar. You know and love Anar. He's made I you love something. Anar. He's made you something I'm... lovely. Uh, this is his. Is it me sneezing. No, actually, that would have been a good idea. Yeah, Anar, you know, where's that? That would have been hilarious. Uh, no, this is his his musical reworking of our performance on the show yesterday. Take it away, Anar. Oh my gosh! Do you like pina, pina colada? colada? <laughs> Oh Get no! In the rain. <laughs> Luckily, that's all we sang. <laughs> oh, thank goodness for that! I was thinking, I'm my bottom; it can't clench any tighter. <laughs> and thanks, Anar, you're a pal. It's only fair after after we've criticised people's dancing, uh, people should hear us singing. <laughs> so there yeah, you go. I think you're absolutely right. Virgin Radio. Oh, well, Graham, the problems are quite tricky today, and I'm going to read the first one for you. Oh, with. no, my Dear head Graham hurts. And Maria, <laughs> stop it, your head hurts. <laughs> Why? The prob- problem. problems are too hard. Oh. The problems are so hard. Come on, you can do it. Dear Graham and Maria, my mother and stepfather have always lived life to the full. They go out for meals twice a week, sometimes to quite expensive restaurants, and spend around £100 a week on alcohol to drink at home. They really have lived as though there is no tomorrow. And now, as they are in their 80s, they have discovered that there is in fact a tomorrow and have run out of options to fund their lifestyle. They have reached the maximum amount that they can raise through equity release and are having to face the prospect of living off their state pension. Being in good health, they are not looking forward to this prospect and want to continue with their current lifestyle. I am pretty comfortable with money, having worked hard all my life, and they have approached me to ask for money to continue funding their retirement. This I am reluctant to do. The fact that they have spent the majority of their estate does not personally concern me, but other members of the family are not in the same financial position as me. Their attitude of nobody left us anything, so why should we leave anything for anyone else, does not sit comfortably with me, and I think that they would have, I think they have taken their wedding vows to forsake all others a bit too literally. Funding their lifestyle would not be without consequences for myself, and I'm reluctant to do so. What should I do? And that's from Ollie in Stratford. Well, Ollie in Stratford, I mean, I am getting no sense of love or affection for these people that you speak of. I mean, I do want to say a lot of people have no choice but to live off a state pension and they manage. Um, You've said twice in your letter, Ollie, from Stratford, that you are reluctant to fund their, in your words, extravagant lifestyle. Um, So I would say you don't want to do it. And this... I. You've written to us and, I, you know, I'm sympathetic to this and also I feel well done, your parents, for your mum and stepdad, for living life to the full. Don't leave anything for the tax man or the banks or the government or whatever. Um, but this is your personal choice, Ollie, in Stratford. I mean, no one can make the decision for you. It's a sort of moral decision. Will, once they die, will you think, why didn't I help them out? They were healthy and so on, but... but also, I'm feeling a lot of people have no choice but to live off a state pension, so maybe they need to... They should have curtailed their lifestyle before they got to this point where they're asking you for money. If the money is no object to you... No, what's the word? Um, then pay it, but I don't think that's the case. Graham, what do you think? 
Yes, it says, he does say it won't be without consequences for him. So yes. I don't know what that means. Listen, Ollie, I think, uh, judgy, judgy, you, I'm so, I get so annoyed with people being uh, furious with their parents for not leaving them stuff in their will. Like, no. No, no, no. You, that cannot be your get-rich-quick scheme, waiting for your parents to die. It can never be a thing. If there's something left, great. If there isn't, just be very happy that your mother and stepdad had a lovely life and they spent it all. My advice to them would be uh, smaller measures of gin and cheaper wine. That That's, I mean, because 100 quid a week on alcohol at home, that is quite... <laughs> Even I am thinking, ooh, that's quite a lot. Um, so I think what you could do, I think, is be nice and send round, you know, a case of wine every couple of weeks or... Da, da, da. But don't... You can't fund their lifestyle. You can't suddenly okay. uh, give... I, you know, and also you don't want to. So I, I think be generous with gifts and things they'll enjoy. Take them out for dinner once a month. Do things... You know, do nice things for them. But... At the same I'm time, guessing he doesn't see them very often, though, Graham. I mean, it sounds like there's not really much of a relationship. I would say, sorry to interrupt your response, um, in a minute, Ollie from Stratford, not in a minute, but at some point, there's going to be just one of them. Now, that is going to be more difficult. So I would possibly wait until... <laughs> I mean, you know, this sounds awful, but you've got a mother and you've got a stepfather. <laughs> I'm putting money on the fact that at some point your mum is going to be on her own. And I think that is the point to step in, whether that's paying for care homes or whatever, because it sounds to me like all the money from the house has gone. Oh, actually, you're right. There will be other things to spend money on later on, not just yeah, gin. Rather than £100 a week on booze. That sounds like I'm trying to curtail their lifestyle, but I'm not because they've lived the life they wanted to. They've spent all their money. You know, most people now do not get left money in wills because all the money goes on care homes. People have to get rid of their house to spend on care homes. I know from personal experience. So, you know, just, I think, hold off. Let them kind of peter out their lifestyle style a bit uh, and maybe send a case of wine occasionally. I have a funny feeling the very intelligent uh, virgin listeners will be good at this. They'll, ha they'll, have a, they'll have a cunning plan. And my favourite responder today will be getting a number one spiced pear and apple crumble cake. Well, stick that in your mouth and eat it. Oh, lovely. Spice pear and apple crumble cake. That just screams autumn, doesn't it? That's what a lovely autumn thing. Spice pear and apple compote topped with an all-butter polenta sponge finished with a butter-enriched cinnamon and ginger spiced oat crumble. Hoorah, comes in a box. Well, Morgan and Whale says, Ollie, no, no, no. They clearly have problems and you'll just be funding them further. They are your parents. Even though dad is a stepdad, they need to sort this themselves. Why don't you suggest local alcohol support services instead? Good luck. I mean, the thing is, they're in their 80s and they're in good health. It's very hard to explain to them why they should stop drinking now. I mean, they should have stopped drinking when they were 40. Now, I mean, they're grand. Tracy. Send them some cases of nice wine every now and then, restaurant or experience vouchers. That way they will have nice things to look forward to, but you are not directly funding them. I'm with Tracy. That's that, that's almost exactly what I said, Tracy. Yeah. Ashley. Oh, I like this. Ashley of Litchfield. Not in, from, of. Ashley of Litchfield. Ollie. Ooh. 
Uh, I have shared your experience, although I consider myself a little less Mr. Judgy about my parents enjoying a bon viveur lifestyle. My parents, in their 80s, can no longer afford the Caribbean cruises and Orient Express and have to make the most of what the West Midlands and their bus pass can offer. I pay for their annual wine club membership, okay, and toss them a voucher for a mid-range restaurant every time I have a win on the premium bonds. I love to see their photos on the family WhatsApp when they're guzzling a new cheeky red from Bordeaux. See, now, actually, that seems quite a happy thing to do. And, yes, I've, I felt there was a bit of Mr. Judgy from Ollie in, in Stratford. Uh... Julie is in Liverpool. Ollie, I agree with Graham. This is your decision. They need to draw in on their expenses and manage like the rest of us. We're all giving up luxuries due to the cost of living crisis. Like Graham said, it sounds like you have made your decision. Instead, you can treat them occasionally to the luxuries they love. We all have to be accountable for our own lives. There will be a time they need to rely on you and actually like properly rely on you, Ollie. So I, yes, I think uh, most people are, I think are right. I tell you what, I'm going to give the, um, what is it? Spiced, spiced, uh, spiced pear and apple crumble cake to Ashley of Litchfield. I declare Ashley of Litchfield, the recipient of the spiced pear and apple cake. Graham's Guide. Oh. Oh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> OK, here's problem number two. Dear Graham and Maria, I am a single mum living in Spain. I split up with the father of my five, my kids five years ago and have been on my own since then. I've got lots of friends and a good community around me and haven't even considered dating as I'm so busy with my family life. When my daughter was at nursery, I made friends with a lot of the other families. We'd often meet up for playdates in the park and one of these mum friends would often send her partner with the baby to meet us in, instead of coming him, herself, which I found a bit strange, but I ended up becoming close friends with him too. They have since split up and me and my daughters have continued to see them and have a close relationship with both of them. Recently, I've started getting feelings for this dad and I suspect he feels the same. Although they have been divorced for two years now, I feel incredibly disloyal to my friend, his ex, who I have supported throughout the divorce. I don't want to hurt my friend, but I can't stop thinking about him, and every time we see each other, we get closer and closer. Should I put an end to my friendship with him to protect my other friend, or should I continue seeing him and see what happens? And that is from Sarah in Madrid. Oh, Sarah in Madrid. This is a difficult one because someone, you are going to lose someone here. This is the problem. I mean, I want to know, is the wife in a new relationship? Because I think this makes a difference. If she's happy and, you know, moving on with her life, I don't think she will be quite as miffed with you. And also, who divorced who? You said you've helped your friend with the divorce. So, you know, did he divorce her? Because then that is... You know, life isn't prescriptive and orderly. It's very messy and inconvenient. And this is sort of messy and inconvenient. I would say, Sarah in Madrid, don't do anything radical at the moment. Just because you don't even know if, if you're getting the right signals that he's interested in you. So I would just keep doing what you're doing and keep 
in contact with both of them, try and maybe sound out the woman in this particular thing and see where she is. If she's distraught, then you cannot do this thing. But if she's like, well, good luck to him, I don't mind. In fact, I'd be happy if he got off with someone else. Um, just not you. So I would just say, just play it very slowly and carefully and by ear, Graham. Well, you're absolutely right. Life is messy. But do you want to make it messier? You know, like, it's going to be... Whatever happens in your life, it's going to end up being messy at some stage. But this, you know how messy it is going in. So, just... I mean, just look beyond the playground, I would say. Just walk 50 feet down the street and see if there's somebody <laughs> down there. Just, it's, it's very easy. This is why people get off with people at work, because it's easy. You get off with people in your particular circle, don't yeah, you? Yeah, because you can see right. this, this recently divorced dad is just standing around looking at the moms and going, mm, that one, because, uh, you know, <laughs> she she's single. Um, I'll do that. Uh, it's just, there's something so lazy about it. Um, you know, and oh, we've developed feelings. Have you? Or is it just kind of like a, yeah, there they are. I, I just think, try a bit harder, Sarah. If you are interested in dating, don't just, you know, be standing in the playground and look, a man walked up. Dude, go looking, you know, get on an app, go see who's out there because this guy may not be the one and certainly, he, he, you know, it, it, there's a kind of a Sophie's Choice element here where you are, you're going to lose one of them and probably in the fullest of time if you go out with him, you'll lose both of them and also <laughs> a huge, a huge portion of your friendship group who will be judgy, who will go, can you believe that uh, English Sarah did that? Yeah, yeah, her, her, her with the funny accent. Yeah, she wrecked lives. So I'd be very, very careful, Sarah, because, you know, if you are in a friendship group and the, you know, community and all of that support, the ripples from this giant rock you're about to throw in a pond are going to be really destructive and damaging. So be super, super careful, I'd say. Yeah, you're absolutely right, Graeme, when she says, you know, I haven't considered dating because I'm busy with my family life. But sometimes if you want to date, you do have to throw the rock a bit further afield because this will be difficult. So I don't know. I mean, you know, people date because it's convenient. It's like there's that person and they're quite nice, so <laughs> that'll do. Oh, yeah, they've got a car. Yeah, all right. <laughs> <laughs> a pulse. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, is there room in that wardrobe? Yeah, I'll move in. Yeah, okay, great. <laughs> well, I mean, I would say, Sarah Madrid, I would say, no, don't do it. But I think you're going to do it anyway. Oh, yes, have an affair. There you go. Uh, if you've got advice for it, Sarah, in Madrid... Uh, I, actually, there's probably people listening who've been in precisely this, relation, oh, yes. this situation oh, yes. of looking across a crowded playground and going, hello, who's that? So, uh, you know, let's find out what you think. And again, my favourite responder will be getting that spiced pear and apple crumble cake courtesy of Waitrose. Uh, Julian Liverpool, what does she say? Sarah, this is a no-win situation. They are both your friends. You need to be very careful here if you want to keep your friends. Even if your friend has found someone else, she will still be devastated that you, her friend, who helped her through the divorce, uh, be honest with yourself. Are your feelings real? Are your feelings for him or for wanting to be with someone? Think hard. This is a bombshell waiting to go off. Yes. With regards to Sarah's issue in Madrid, go for it, girl. Well, Stephen Lincoln, he don't care. Go for it, girl. You know what you're feeling, so you only have one life, so go live it. And don't have any regrets. Nothing ventured, nothing gained. 
turned out to be wonderful. If it doesn't, come back to the dating game. I'm sure you'll meet someone and it will be wonderful. Steve is Mr. Positivity this morning. It's like, yeah, if it doesn't work out, yes, there'll be a lot of very upset people over the sound of crying. <laughs> Try to concentrate on your dating app. Uh, all right, thank you very much, Steve. Uh, Sarah should talk to the female friend about her newfound feelings towards her ex-husband and lay it all out for her to hear. It won't be an easy conversation to have, but at least Sarah has gone to the female friend first to see if she gives her blessing or not. I think the friend will respect Sarah for considering her feelings first, but obviously she may not get the answer she wants and she will need to deal with that. I mean, that's from Jenny. Jenny, see, my worry is you then... Because <laughs> you haven't even had the affair with the man and you've upset the friend I oh, I don't know uh, it's tricky I'll tell you what I'm going to give the uh, Spice Fair an apple crumble cake to Julie in Liverpool that's who's getting that The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose food to feel good about Virgin Radio right it's time for my guest uh, Dear England uh, the story of the English football team was a huge smash at the National Theatre so much so it is transferring to the West End uh, to the Prince Edward Theatre from the 9th of October until the 13th of January next year. The star of that play, Joseph Fiennes, joins us now. Hello, Joseph. Dear Graham Norton, oh. lovely to, to hear and be with you today. Thank lovely you to hear and be with you as well. So, uh, dear England, I <laughs> see, foolishly, I would have thought in the Venn diagram of theatre fans and football fans, it would be quite a niche, tiny amount of people, but not so. This play was an enormous hit at the National. It's true. It was it was a massive hit, and right across all age groups and demographics, which was hugely exciting and important. I started out at eighteen, um, washing underpants for actors as a dresser. So it was lovely to come back there at the national all those years later and be in front of an audience that represented the nation, um, as a national theatre should do. And that was the most exciting thing because when I was there all those years ago, it didn't quite represent the audience. Yeah. Didn't quite represent the nation as it should do as a national theatre. And this production really has, um, and it's been hugely exciting. And um, so much so, we're, we're going off to the West End, which is wonderful. So tell me this, Joseph. I know nothing about football. Uh, wh- where's the drama? How how is this a play? What what bit? What what part of the story are we in in this in this production? Well, it kicks off in two. 2016, when Gareth Southgate took over as caretaker manager, he'd been with the under um, 21s and he was uh, asked to sort of man the ship, as it were, while they looked for another manager. But then they qualified for Russia and he was invited to become full time manager. But it really looks at Gareth, who is famous for missing his penalty in 96. Um, it looks at the game, it looks at penalties, it looks at fear, it looks at masculinity, it looks at racism. So really, the beautiful game is a prism in which we look at the psyche of the nation. And I think therein lies the drama. And as one of the main protagonists, here you have a man that is quite possibly completely crippled psychologically by all the, 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 the sort of the fallout of missing that penalty, as a lot of players do. Um, and why would he come back and then take a job which is the equivalent of, you know, you know, a prime minister, which is an impossible job, um, and put yourself right back in the centre of, of that trauma? But what he did, and he's he's a he's a player that probably came out as as a young man, really experiencing, you know, doors being slammed and bottles thrown across, you know, the dressing room floor to put the fear of God in you to cross over that line and to win. And that's what we're looking at. We're looking at fear. 
and masculinity and and winning and uh, and we're looking at a nation that has to learn to lose as well as to win um and so it's a it's a gripping examination i think of the nation's psyche as much as the game and as i say it's a prism in which we look at all these other wonderful uh, um and gnarly subjects and I imagine Gareth Southgate is delighted by his theatrical glow-up <laughs> Joseph Fiennes playing him. Um, uh, how much time did you? How much time did you spend with Gareth? Was he in rehearsals or was he involved in any way? God, I, I, I wish. I mean, our wonderful writer James Graham, this brilliant, prolific, talented writer of ours, um, went up to uh, the FA to St George's and met with Gareth. I was due to be in that meeting, but got bumped um, and was asked politely maybe that I, I shouldn't turn up, which was, you know, was something I was really hanging my whole kind of research on. But I think ultimately it's probably a good thing. I think maybe as an actor, maybe it's better to talk to people who know him rather than the subject himself, because obviously there's, I think there might be a mask that's worn and you never really get beyond the mask. So apart from looking at countless footage and hours of Sky Sports interviews, um, I've really gone through and connected with Gareth through James Graham's fictitious rendering of behind the scenes. And there is that sense of getting to the truth through fantasy. And, and sometimes if you're too wedded to the character, you can't think beyond it. And the, 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 there's a beautiful, it's almost caricature the, uh, and carnivalesque, the play. It's loud, it's, it's funny, it moves at a great pace. So it's not hung up too much on the sort of the methodology of the character and more of the subjects that surround that world. And I know when Frost Nixon was in the West End, David Frost went to see it, I mean, endlessly. <laughs> he loved it. Um, oh, really? How many times has Gareth Southgate <laughs> been to see Dear England? Uh, not quite in the same way, which might tell you that he's a much more humble <laughs> personality. I think he's a bit of an introvert. Um, I know we've had we've had Ian Wright and Gary Lineker and Ed Miliband and Emma Thompson and Hugh Jackman and all these people have come in and seen it, um, but not Gareth himself. Um, I think it would be a bit odd, Maybe to be in a play where everyone's watching you, watching yourself, it might be a bit excruciating, so I could understand that. But it'd be lovely for him, maybe if he gets some silverware, he'll feel the pressures off and he can come and celebrate himself. But um, but as yet, no. Uh, Joseph, praise incoming. Brace yourself. Miranda in Suffolk, Ipswich Town fan, um, oh went to see Dear England at the National. It was the best play I've seen in ages. I'm so pleased you got a Western transfer and hope everyone books to see it ASAP. There you go. Yeah, yeah. Miranda well, liked how it. kind we yeah. should use that yes as our quote <laughs> yeah put, the, put that outside yeah Ipswich Town fan best player I've seen in ages right. uh, uh, Joseph I was I went to see uh, Dancing at Lunasa at the National back in June and the last night and I bumped into some of the cast of Dear England and it was they were so I mean they were a little drunk but they were they were so enthusiastic and so excited <laughs> presumably a lot for a lot of these young actors it's their first or certainly an early job what's it like for you not that you're old but you know you've been around the block uh, what's it like for you uh, sharing a stage with kind of all, all, all that enthusiasm well, uh, firstly, I saw Dancing with Lunacy and what a wonderful production yeah. it was by Josie Rourke and what a wonderful, beautiful play and incredible ensemble. Um, I, and our ensemble, as you say, is very young. And that's kind of the, the backbone of the piece is this wonderful energy. And because of a lot of these players are 18, you know, when, when they um, had maybe their first international and a lot of the actors are straight out of drama school. So there's, there's a sort of, sort of art life mirroring going on, which is wonderful. But their energy and their physicality is, is really what makes the show and we have an incredible cast that cover all all the um amazing 
uh, players um, such as, you know, Rashford and Kane and Pickford and Henderson, and I could go on. Um, and they really bring the vitality to the piece. And it's an interesting thing, but, you know, some of them, uh, and I'm thinking about those who missed the penalty in... Um, in the Euros, and there was this awful, awful backlash against um, three players. And it prompted Gareth to write a letter um, and to reach out to the nation. And the letter was addressed, Dear England, and hence that's where James Graham gets the title from. And it is really reaching out and just reminding people that these are very young players and who adore football. And, And as such, it was a turning point where the players then got onto social media. And I think of Marcus Rashford and the, the, the wonderful mural and his work, his social work. So we have a real generation, a young generation of footballers who are so socially, a, a lot of them really sort of on point. Um, uh, and, and a lot of that virtue came from Gareth allowing that team to reach out socially, to use those platforms, to connect with the audience and to sort of abate the, 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 the terrible backlash that, that this country has when it comes to a loss. Um, and what was interesting is that in the, the last World Cup, uh, there was a missed penalty by Kane and there wasn't riots and effigies burning and awful abuse online. It was quiet. So what the, this might point to, and of course it can change and the monster's always there, but it might point to this very quiet reformation that has taken place since 2016. Gareth is at the forefront of that, along with Pippa Grange, and she's a psychologist. Psychologist. They brought in a psychologist the first time. It was very late in the day because other sports or had psychologists for a long time. But bringing in and really kind of connecting with the players in a, in, in a way which was highly unusual um, in Gareth's time. And I, I do believe there's been this incredible transition. And that, that's, that's at the heart of the drama. And, and the, the transition amongst those young players is, is, is quite a feat. And, you know, England come close a lot. But they're still, still kind of yet to get the big one. Uh, how does the does the play leave a crowd kind of you know? Is it a crowd pleaser, or does everyone kind of limp out of the theatre, going, "Oh, that's a shame they didn't win." <laughs> <laughs> well, they they don't. In fact, there's a joyous sense. Um, dare I say, a sort of weird patriotic, um, in in the good sense, let's say. Yeah. Um, of looking at ourselves and celebrating ourselves beyond winning and beyond football really about coming together. And I think the great, beautiful game brings people together. And if we can be brought together in the right way and conduct ourselves, win or loss, in the right way, then that's a wonderful thing. And I think that's what the play reminds us, to have fun, to enjoy ourselves, but conduct ourselves well. Um, and certainly at the end of the audience, you, you feel that. Do we bring any silver? Well, we don't. But we do know there is a Euros looming next year in Germany. And there is a sense within the audience that, especially also, we shouldn't forget the Lionesses, extraordinary yeah. win and winning deep and getting to finals. And we celebrate the women's team as well. And there is that interesting thing about expectation. You know, since 66, there's been this World Cup win. And then there's been this crippling expectation foisted on players ever since. And if you look at the track record after the 66, there's a lot of times we didn't qualify. We came 13th, 26th, you know, 7th, 8th, 9th. If you look at the data, there's no reason we should win at all. So it's a great reminder of that. And yet the women's team with zero expectations have found a flow and a creativity. So it's quite interesting about how footballers, artists or anyone 
when you're free of expectation, when you're free of fear, you're not robbed of the joy. And if you've got joy, you can create in whatever field you have. And I think that's what the play kind of aims at. So there's no big celebration at a win. We know that. But there is that sense of finding joy beyond the winning. I love that. You are channeling football manager. You're, that's such a kind of dressing room pep talk. <laughs> Um, I know. I've got my waistcoat on. I can only do it with the waistcoat. (laughs) Very quickly, I just want to mention this extraordinary fact that Prince Edward Theatre hasn't had a play for 75 years. Uh, What's, I mean, have you been in that theatre? incredible? I've I've never, I've been across the the road at at a club quite often and I've seen it. It's a huge barn. It's wonderfully exciting. We're there. Um, so any audience member coming in will be making history because it's the first drama we've had in that space for over 75 years. So that's that's something novel for anyone that's sitting in that theatre. Um, Certainly for me. I'm wildly excited about being there. Oh, well, listen, congratulations on the success of Dear England so far and uh, lots more to come. Uh, thank you very much for giving up so your Sunday. Go enjoy the rest of it. Uh, take care of yourself. You. Thanks for joining us. Joseph Fines. Thank take you care. so much, Graham. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Uh, that's Dear England at the Prince Edward Theatre. It's dearenglandonstage.com if you're looking for tickets and why wouldn't you? Oh, all this talk has made me hungry. Let's bring Martha in. Guess who's here? Martha Collison. Happy Sunday to you. Oh, and to you, Graham. Yes, show chef Martha is here uh, you are in your happy place oh yes I'm Baking. in a cake coma <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh, what sort of cake have you made so this is a hazelnut chocolate layer cake oh yeah chocolate hazelnut layers oh delish. it's a cake uh, what is it about hazelnut because I was just in the in the coffee shop and they had a maple hazelnut latte Ooh. knocking around I know that sounds good doesn't it, yeah, it does. and I, then I came upstairs and realised oh I'm going to have hazelnuts anyway <laughs> did you get the maple hazelnut latte no I latte? didn't because I'd already ordered my coffee and I just thought well, that is probably so full of sugar <laughs> I too want. much hazelnut with the hazelnut cake <laughs> yeah uh, is, is now the time for hazelnuts is autumn the time for hazelnuts oh, I don't know I think obviously the uh, the famous hazelnut spread has really been having a bit of a resurgence in baking over the last couple of years. Everyone's stuffing cookies with it and making cakes with it. But it's nice for the actual hazelnut itself. Okay. To get a bit of recognition outside of the spread. You know, you say the hazelnut spread, like Nutella. Is there, is there, <laughs> is there any competition? Or are they, have they just cornered the hazelnut spread market? Well, there's a little bit of competition from the essential waitress hey! <laughs> which actually is what this cake is made of but there's also a really lovely one by Bon Maman they do a hazelnut spread that's got no palm oil and is very nice as well okay so by got Bon Maman yeah is that the one with the kind of little gingham top? It is, yeah. It has oh, a gingham, okay. gingham cap on it. <laughs> we'll have a look so uh, I, so this is it's it's layered and it's got icing and okay. so in terms of difficulty because I was like baking it's you know, mm. Making's out up there. Uh, how hard is this cake? So if you've got a food processor, very easy. If you don't have a food processor, not don't. ridiculously hard, <laughs> but a little bit more challenging. But this is a recipe designed for a food processor, so it's super simple in a food processor. Is a food processor like? Can you, if you have a a whiskey thing, mm. will that do for? We don't know. You kind of need a chopper. You need chopper, a chopping okay. action to, to okay. whiz the hazelnuts and then to basically whiz everything else. But it is nice to see a recipe where you have to use a food processor to do the hazelnuts and then it's not just pushed to one side and get out six bowls to make the rest. It all goes into the processor. So you've got it dirty for a reason. Okay. Okay. Very good. And in terms of, uh, you know, coating your teeth and going to the dentist, how sweet is this cake? <laughs> it, this is a sugary one. Okay. Lovely. And uh, this is news for the team. Did everyone know it was Martha's birthday yesterday? <laughs> 
It was Martha's birthday yesterday. And we were just eating our fish pie, totally ignoring it. There wasn't even a candle in the fish pie. Oh, fish pie isn't very birthday-esque. Not Today really. is the birthday Today day. is the birthday cake. But you, and you were to make it yourself. It's uh, all right. I do always make my own birthday cake on my birthday. So this was a good... It was just... Just lended itself perfectly to the occasion. No, and it, we should have twigged that it was your birthday because you were going out for lunch after the show. I just thought you were going out for lunch. Oh. I'll wear a badge next year. Big one. Yeah. The effects are lovely. Uh, happy birthday music for you. Yeah. Yeah. It goes on for a long time. Let me stop that now. Thank you. That's enough. It was <laughs> yeah. yesterday. It was yesterday. <laughs> yeah. Wow. It wasn't a very nice version of happy birthday. But well found. Well found. Uh, all right. Back to today and the cake. Hazelnut chocolate layer cake. I want to make it. How do I start? So we're starting with the hazelnuts. We're going to roast them. Mm. Now, roasting any kind of nut is a good idea because it just yeah. brings out so much more of the... Of the it sounds ridiculous, but the nuttiness. Mm. <laughs> the nuttiness of the nut is found when you roast it. So mm. roast them, they need to go into the oven for about 10 to 15 minutes. And we're roasting all of them. Save half for the topping because you want to have a nice little sprinkle on you top. You really do. They're delicious. And the rest are going, once they're a bit cool, into your food processor. Also preheat your oven at this stage so that you're all ready to go and line your tins. Two 20 centimetre round tins you want for this recipe. Once you've whizzed up your hazelnuts in the food processor, you're then essentially adding everything else into the food processor, which is nice and simple. So soft butter is going in, then we're adding caster sugar, we're adding in cocoa powder, flour, what else goes in? Uh, raising agent, all your ingredients, eggs, everything goes into the food processor, pulsing it between each addition till you have a lovely smooth chocolatey coloured butter. Okay. Then we are dividing it between our tins, smooth over the top, and stick it into the oven, and it takes about 20 minutes to rise. They're nice thin cakes, but they stack up beautifully with the icing, so mm. they don't take super long. Get them out of the oven, let them cool in their tins, and then stick them onto one of those little cooling racks if you've got one. And or a tray, or one of those little wire exactly. racks. If you don't have one of those, you can just leave them in the tin. It might be a bit more moist, but it's not going to be a problem, so... Mm. Cool it down, and then when you're almost ready to serve, we're going to make a buttercream. So we're taking soft, unsalted butter and whisking that up with some icing sugar and then some hazelnut spread. The hazelnut spread lovely. is so good. Mm, it's really like full flavoured of the hazelnuts, isn't it? Not yeah. just the chocolate. And then you've got the roast hazelnut. The, the oh, that's it's so good, I, delicious. So yeah. you wanna once you've made your icing, I usually divide it into two in the bowl, just using the spatula, so that you can you make sure you've got enough for both bits. So then you do one layer in the middle of the cake, sandwich it up, a layer on top, give it a little fancy swirl with the back of a spoon and then sprinkle over some hazelnuts. And it's a lovely, simple, good for a cake sale, I reckon, if you've got anything like that, school fate cake sale, this one oh, would go yeah. down well. Yeah. Take that, other people who are making it. <laughs> no, that is so good. And it's so light. Because mm. you always got to think chocolate cake is going to be a bit dense or a bit kind yes. of, you know, too heavy. But it's really light. Having said that, I do feel like I might go to sleep now because <laughs> I've just had a huge slice of it light but very sugary <laughs> yes it was light but uh, quite heavy in me now <laughs> uh, if you want full, the full recipe for the hazelnut chocolate layer cake oh by the way how do I, just 20 minutes to, in the oven 20 minutes in the oven and then cool it down and then stack it I mean, nothing, is it? Yeah, nothing, easy. nothing, easy. Click of a finger. Uh, it does look so lovely. If you want to see what it looks like, you could check out the recipe on our socials at Virgin Radio UK, or you could find the full recipe and indeed all of Martha's recipes at waitress.com slash show chef. That's a website, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. There's a hub. There's a hub. Uh, well, happy birthday to you. Oh, thank you. Uh, uh, no, no, enough now. <laughs> enough with the birthday. Uh, have you any more celebrations lined up, or is that it? <laughs> 
I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. Okay, you had your lovely lunch yesterday. <laughs> uh, oh, we feel bad. We don't, don't, oh, don't, don't. don't. Yeah. Anyway, well, look, happy birthday for yesterday. Well, thank you. All right. And because it's your favourite song, I'm going to play Kaiser Chiefs uh, Ruby. <laughs> what did you stop? With the... <laughs> Thanks so much for listening today. You can catch me every Saturday and Sunday from 9.30 on Virgin Radio. Follow us on all our socials to keep up to date and make sure you check out our YouTube channel too. Just look up at Virgin Radio UK and you'll find loads of great interviews and live sessions. Until next time. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. Food to feel good about. Virgin Radio.